Welcome to the Blue Medicine Journal, a Jungian podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sandra Luz del Castillo, Jungian mentor, ritual artist, and dreamer, coming to you from out of the blue. season for me, honoring both the Mexican Day of the Dead and Halloween. My lectures, workshops, and ofrendas can be seen on my Instagram page and soon my website, which is currently getting a makeover. Today's episode honors Halloween, as I have come to know it and celebrate it through the years. Halloween, or hallowed evening, is the time of year when the veils between the worlds of the living and the dead part. It finds its roots with the, the Gaelic Samhain, which is celebrated at the midway point between autumn equinox and winter solstice. Also called the Witch's New Year, it celebrates the harvest. Blended with the Catholic All Souls Day, Hallowed Eve honors the departed. According to legend, jack-o'-lanterns were once made of large turnips and placed at the front door to welcome home the ancestors. The candlelit smiling face in the turnip would guide the dead home and scare away the ghosts and ghouls that roamed the earth as well as the veils thinned. Small offerings of blackberries were left at the door for the elves on Halloween, lest they play tricks on the household throughout the year hence the trick or treat. In the US, Halloween can be seen as a gothic celebration of the mythic underworld, a night of costumes and enchantment for children and the young at heart. There's also a dark side to Halloween, depicted in Hollywood horror, from vintage camp to gruesome and even psychologically traumatic. Halloween and the Day of the Dead come together for me from my ancestry. My mother was Scotch-Irish, steeped in Druidic fantasy as well as the Gothic lore of Edgar Allan Poe. And my father was 100% Purépecha from the state of Michoacán, a land of enchantment renowned for its celebration of the dead. This quintessentially Mexican tradition both satirizes death while honoring the ancestors with festive and elaborate altars called ofrendas, as well as ritual candlelight vigils and picnics at the graveyards, which last through the night. Though I was not raised with the Mexican Day of the Dead tradition as such, I was fortunate in that my mother brought the numinous to Halloween Every year, she created an altar for my oldest brother, who died when he was just five. A framed sepia of Tony was placed in the center of the altar. Pretty bowls of candy corn and chocolates were set out for him, and she lit a bayberry candle. It was a simple altar compared to the Mexican ofrendas, yet I recall the numinosity it evoked somehow comforting me and making me feel safe on Halloween night when ghosts and goblins wandered the earth. 
After my brother's death, my mother plunged into deep despair for long months. Her altars for Tony were a creative way to express her grief and honor her son as an ancestor. This tradition acted as her soul medicine, and in the tradition of ritual art, the altar was soul medicine for the whole family, as well as for all those who gazed on it. Today, my ofrendas to the ancestors are exuberant rituals which take on a life of their own. Numinous is a word I, I like to use and, use and Jung used to describe the mysterious and ineffable presence of the sacred. Rudolf Otto, a German theologian and philosopher, coined this term. He defined it as, feeling, as a feeling of awe, of standing in the presence of a great mystery, a humbling power greater than one's own limited self. Jung once declared that as a psychologist, he did not seek to categorize symptoms, but rather to attain to the numinous, an experience he felt that could lift the curse of pathology and evoke in a person a sense that life is meaningful. It is in this spirit of re-enchantment and numinosity that we gather here today on a full moon and lunar eclipse just before Halloween to share a different kind of numinosity, the uncanny evoked in ghost stories, the kind that makes your hair stand on end not gory or traumatizing, but the kind of scary that makes you reimagine death and perhaps contemplate the afterlife of the soul. I will be reading firsthand ghost stories from family members, and I'm pleased to be welcoming my son later in the show, Lucas Bacher, musician, composer, editor, and producer of Blue Medicine Journal, a Jungian podcast. He'll be here to share his own ghost stories live. Sister Lynn. I'll be narrating it as she wrote it to me in the first person. About three years ago, my sister and I visited the Lost Coast. We stayed at a little hotel right on the water in Shelter Cove. In those days, I was still a smoker. So one night around 10, I went downstairs to smoke a cigarette. I stood at the foot of the staircase, smoking and watching the waves come up on the beach. Where I was standing was a patio facing the ocean, and it was about five feet above the beach. There were no steps leading up to the patio I was on. However, I saw a man step onto the patio and walk toward the hotel office door which was located under the staircase where I was standing. I was puzzling over how he had so smoothly stepped up onto the patio without steps. He was probably in his 30s, dressed in khaki pants and a plaid shirt. I felt no sense of alarm at seeing him. As he approached the staircase, I noticed that I could see through him 
Again, I felt no alarm, no fear, no change in temperature. It didn't suddenly get colder. He was simply see-through. Then he disappeared. I was trying to understand what I saw. In my mind, I was thinking that perhaps it was an image of someone I might have seen earlier. But I realized that was not the case. I had seen a ghost. The second story I want to share is from my daughter, Tara, who lives here in Los Angeles. A long, long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, called the Roosevelt Hotel. I worked there as a lobby ambassador, which involved taking guests to their rooms, bringing stuff to certain rooms, and doing tours of the historic hotel. The ninth floor was infamous. There was one room there that was haunted. Everyone knew it. I believe someone died there by suicide many years prior, and they didn't rent that room out after that incident. And yet, we would always get calls from that room to the front desk. They would pick up, and no one would answer. This always happened, especially at night. There was definitely something sinister with that floor. All the other lobby ambassadors would try to avoid it. One day we had a package that had to be delivered to that floor. No one was volunteering, and I thought, why not? Urban legends don't scare me. I went up in the elevator. It was one of the elevators with glass mirrors all around it, with dim lighting. I took the package up, delivered it, and was going to go back down. I pressed for the elevator. It arrived, and I went in and turned towards the button panel, and I pressed lobby. Then I saw in the reflection of the mirror a tall, slender figure behind me, but no other floor had been pressed. I turned to see what floor he was heading to, but there was no one there. That had to be my quickest elevator ride ever. I got off, went straight down nine flights of stairs in high heels. And after that, I did not volunteer my services or anything on the ninth floor or related. I felt very much like the cowardly lion afterwards. I do, I do, I do believe in spooks. And so welcome, Lucas. Lucas is my, again, he's my producer and editor and musician and composer. Welcome, Lucas. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be, you know, not just behind the scenes today, but actually in front of the scenes as well. I worked at the Roosevelt Hotel at the same time that my sister Tara did. 
And it's fun to hear that she also had a uh, experience. And I can attest, the ninth floor of the tower of the Roosevelt Hotel is the floor that is the haunted floor, specifically room 928. Room 928 is, this is the lore, is that uh, Montgomery Cliff, the actor, stayed in that room. And it's just abbreviation. You guys can find this online. But he basically stayed in that room and he would pace up and down the hallways to, uh, practicing his lines there while filming. I can't remember the specific film. But since then, people have reported that they hear somebody whispering lines up and down the room. That's It's been the more of these uh, <laughs> lore are that people stay in the room and the temperature goes way up or goes way down and that it's Montgomery playing with them. <clears throat> now, that's not the only place that people have reported stories. And so just on a quick other one, I a friend of mine who was a, I was a bellman when I worked there and one of my fellow bellmen was there during the renovation of the cabana area and he said that from him, so this is from me, from my friend, from the security guard. So two, three hands, take it as you will. <laughs> but they said that during the renovation, when there was absolutely nobody in the cabanas, that they would also get calls from different cabana rooms. They would pick up, there'd be nobody there because there's obviously nobody staying in the rooms. The one story that kind of relates to mine, which I felt kind of chills when I heard this because this was after the experience I'm going to share in a minute was that they would hear at night the security guards sometimes would hear children playing in the pool and there's obviously nobody in there and children aren't allowed in there let alone at night by themselves but they would hear splashing and laughter of children playing in the pool of the cabana area my story involves that ninth floor now if you've ever stayed at the Roosevelt Hotel, you'll know that the tower itself is built kind of like a giant T and that along the body of the T is where the elevator comes up. So a bellman, you know, I got a call to go deliver a package on the ninth floor at the room that's all the way at the bottom of the T, the stem that adds the other line. So if that's, I hope I'm being mildly clear about this. <laughs> so I grab the package from downstairs. I go up to the ninth floor. Coincidentally, this was around Halloween time. I remember it being in October. And so I, you know, I get to the ninth floor. I've delivered stuff to the ninth floor many times. I've delivered stuff to room 928 and like, ooh, fun, you know? <laughs> and, but this was, you know, October. And when I got off at the ninth floor, there was nobody else there. I didn't see anybody. So I walked all the way down. And it's a pretty long hallway, all the way to the very end, to the very first room at the tip of that T. chills already just listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I rang the doorbell, you know, waited. I rang the doorbell again and I was like knocking and I was like, Bellman. And I hear like some kid playing, you know, way down the hall. And I, I you know, I wasn't looking, you know, it's a long hall. And I was like, all right, let's ring, you know, ring the doorbell again. Nobody's answering. And the kid starts getting a little louder. And then I starts running and I hear footsteps run right up to me. 
and stop right next to me. And I even, and maybe this was years ago, I could be imagining this, but I, in my memory, I felt a little gust of wind because they ran up so fast and then stopped right next to me. I knew there was nobody there. I could see out of the corner of my eye, there was nobody there, but I still, I looked over to where I had just heard the footsteps stop. And I did what I've done in other encounters with stuff I can't explain. I just put out a good vibe and I was like, hi, I am your friend. Not enough for you to hang out with me, but no threat here. We are cool. And I just used my key and I opened the door uh, to the room. I was like, I'm not waiting anymore. I dropped the package off and I very carefully, I walked around the little space where I heard the footsteps stop, made my way over to the elevator slowly, feeling all the hairs on the back <laughs> of my neck sticking up and on my arms and just kind of bracing for at any moment, anything could happen at any moment. And I pressed the button for the elevator and the elevator door opened and I got in. And that was that. Oof. That's where it ended. However, to this day, like I said, in my memory, I know for sure that I heard a child playing and that I heard these footsteps running down the hall straight to me and stop about six inches from where I was standing. So close to where I felt a little gust of wind or something. Maybe memory is you know elaborating <laughs> but i definitely got chills and i definitely remember at the time being super convinced that that was definitely real that's so interesting about the roosevelt because it would seem that in that case that there wasn't just the 928 room where the person died by suicide but that there were other ghosts wandering those halls yes included Children, yep. Even I don't know if there's any history of the children. Um, I don't know if there's any history of children drowning in the pool or not, but I know that, yes, room 928. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, it wasn't Montgomery Clift who died by suicide there. Right. And I believe that there was more than one person that in the 1960s, I believe it, there were two or three people who died by suicide at that hotel. Ooh. And um, yes, and if you've ever, if you ever get the chance to go into the ballroom by yourself at any time of day or God forbid night, you'll feel, you will feel the chill. Yikes. Walk that ballroom by yourself, I dare you. <laughs> Well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> not not unless I'm I'm hired as a, a the ritual artist to do the limpia for that place. The limpia that would be appropriate. No, no, no. That, that no, was no, no. more of a uh, challenge to the listener as well. There you go. There you go. <laughs> now, let me ask you something. Am I right? Was Marilyn Monroe also at that hotel? Was she? Has she been? She seen? would stay there frequently. Yeah, she would stay there a lot as well. Yes. Was her and ghost happened... seen in that hotel or not? Supposedly, that there is a ghost story of a at least amongst all like the housekeeping ladies there who I made friends with their, their common story was that there was a lady who 
saw in the in the uh, in the big mirror downstairs, I think near the ballroom, saw very clearly the ghost of Marilyn Monroe and that she ran out and never came back to the job. That was it. She was done. <laughs> that was <laughs> never it. came back to the hotel. Didn't collect her paycheck. She was just <laughs> out of there. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I get it. That's interesting about the Rose Belt. Well, I mean, maybe uh, interest will be generated, and people will because take you up on your dare to to uh, cross that ballroom. <laughs> we shall see. Anyway, well, yes. thanks so much, Luca. That was a, a great story. And speaking of of stories and ghost stories, I'm going to share mine now. Now, this happened when I was in my early 20s. I was still an undergraduate student at UC Berkeley, and I was staying. I'd gone to Mexico, and I was staying at my grandparents' home. Now, they lived in in Huetamo, Michoacan, and at the time, Huetamo was still, it was dirt roads, and my grand, they had a beautiful adobe place with the outdoor area where my grandmother fed the chickens and the pigs and the stars touched the earth. It was just so glorious. And that neck of the woods could be considered what we would know now in literature as uh, magical realism. Because so many incredible stories happened there that were a land of enchantment. And at the same time, ghosts wander. So my story is a ghost story of what happened to me in my grandparents' place. It was night and we had all gone to sleep. I was sleeping in a one of those beautiful cots that were hand woven um, from reed and everybody was asleep and there was no outdoor city sounds, nothing to be heard, only maybe an occasional dog howling or something, but I, I was sound asleep. And I was suddenly pulled wide awake, I felt a, an, a presence that was no mistake and right at the foot of my bed and I, every hair on my body stood up, I felt completely chilled and there was no question to me that someone was at the foot of my bed, I was afraid to even move and I, I was real aware that I wasn't breathing anymore and I remember looking down and it was dark, like I said, because there was no outdoor lighting or anything. It was, but yet at the foot of my bed, there was a darkness that was even darker than the regular darkness of that night. And it was cold. Again, every hair on my body stood up and I, I didn't know what to do. I just, I, I felt frozen in place and I just sort of waited. And I realized that this figure, this dark shadow just, began to lift and hover directly above me. Again, like I said, I, I could barely breathe. And then it slowly just felt like it had creeped over my whole body and slowly began to sink into me in the most chilling and terrifying way that I could imagine. And I was young, I had no idea how to speak to it or, or anything, I just felt it sink into me and then it was gone. 
So the only other time that sticks out clearly in my memory that I can't explain and that, you know, listeners may be skeptical of or not was in Ashland, Oregon, where our, uh, my grandmother, Claire, rest in peace, lived. When she moved from her house on High Street to a community where it was more elder folks, she bought a house. And I remember this was during college times. Myself, Tara, and our older sister, Melissa, we all went and stayed with, with Grandma Claire. And Grandma Claire slept on the first floor. And upstairs, there were two bedrooms. And Melissa and Tara stayed in one. And I stayed in this other bedroom. And in this other bedroom, it was kind of a study and it had a bed in it. I remember, I remember sleeping. And I remember waking up suddenly with the hairs on my body sticking up. And out of the corner of my eye, out of like the side vision, I saw what looked, it was kind of like a, a whitish figure. And I, I stood still, or I mean, I lay still, little by little breathing, and this little thing, this figure didn't really, it was there. And so I started turning my head a little bit to get a little more side vision. And I could make out it looked, it looked like a, like a woman in a nightgown, standing there, looking at me, just looking at me as I'm lying there in the bed, just looking straight at me. (laughs) And I'm not looking straight at her. This is just out of the side vision. And I remember looking turning my eyes the opposite direction, turning my head the opposite direction, and then coming back to that same point where I could see her out of my side vision to just, you know, be like, is that really there? (laughs) I don't know what time it is in the morning, but I have chills. And is there really a woman in a nightgown standing there just looking at me with kind of a coldness? There was just like this. And I'm not saying the temperature of the room was cold, but the energy was just kind of cold. And so I just, I mustered up and I looked straight at where she was standing. And of course, when I look straight at her, she's not there. And so I turned back. This is while I'm all still lying in bed. And I just look straight up. And as I look back at my side vision, I kind of see her again. And so just like I did with the kid at the hotel, which I recommend this technique if you find yourself with a ghost. I just acknowledged her and I put out good energy and I was like, hi, I am a friend. I am no threat to you. Thank you. We are cool. You know, and when I, to be clear, ghost, when I say we're a friend, I don't mean follow me around and hang out with me. I mean, this is a very pleasant interaction. (laughs) I'm going to try to go back to sleep now. (laughs) Eventually I did go back to sleep. And I I found out later on that that room was where the woman who owned that house before our grandmother did, died in. That was a room that she slept in, and that's the room she died in. And so I could understand her being like, what are you doing in my space? Yikes, yikes. <laughs> so, uh, yes, that's the only other time that sticks out really strongly. Those are two incidents that I can't explain and that... I won't let people convince me 
did not occur. So anyway, uh, recommended technique. If you encounter yourself with the supernatural, put out good positive vibes, acknowledge that presence, but don't invite it in and don't invite it to follow you. Well done. I like that. That's good sound advice. To me, as, as a ritual artist, I say light a candle and smudge. I use I in those kind of circumstances, I like to use copal and I'll throw in a mm. little bit of garlic peel, some cayenne, not a lot because you'll start sneezing and coughing. But yeah, nice. and I go to all the corners, but I do I do recommend a good smudge after that because sometimes I mean what what that'll help, it helps them to find their way as well because what is a ghost doing why is it in between these you know this in between space does it what what does it need to move further on in this journey and you know wish it well as it goes on in its journey so it's it's a way of honoring and cleansing at the same time Thank you, Luca. Thank you, Lynn. And thank you, Tara, for making this Halloween spectacular possible. I'm so glad you joined. And thanks again, Luca, for joining live. I'm thrilled. Yeah, my pleasure. Definitely. Yeah, I got I got chills with your story. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was creepy. There was no question about it. Yeah. Anyway, thanks so much. Have a lovely time. Light candles. Make your jack-o'-lanterns. Make your ofrendas to your ancestors. Let the ghosts do their thing elsewhere. And um, with that, I'd like to close in saying, stay curious and feed your soul. Thanks so much. Bye.